This week on Blue 58, the Packers are somehow still making moves in free agency. A controversial running back visits Green Bay, and we check in on some multi-sports stars from the dark ages of Packers football. Plus, we explain why the most important draft pick in Packers history was anything but a sure thing. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the official podcast of thepowersweep.com. We are powered this week as we are every week by WTMJ Mobile. I'm your host, John Mirdick, joined today by co-host Gary Zillavi. Gary, how are we doing? It's a great day to be great, John. Great day for some headlines, and we start with another free agent headline as we look at what the Packers are doing this offseason. This time, they're making a waiver claim. It's former Chicago Bears second-round pick Ego Ferguson. Second-round pick back in 2014, a defensive tackle taken just a couple picks before the Packers selected Devontae Adams. He's only played in four games over the past two seasons due to injuries, and he's considered more or less an athletic underachiever due to his inability to stay on the field the past couple years yet still it seems like he could have some untapped potential Gary my question to you you have any reason to think this is more than a depth signing I I do think there could be more to this than just depth Ferguson is in Green Bay more so because of his injury history than ineffectiveness when he was a rookie Bears coaches said with good coaching and persistence on his part he could reach his full potential now a little bit of coach speak but still pretty promising and he was a second round pick the Packers have done a good job defensively in the Dom Capers era using linemen in their specialized capacity I think it'd be great to see Ferguson make this team I think so too and the Packers signings this offseason have all sort of fallen into the category of high upside and low risk if he taps that athletic potential and it sure seems like he still has some Ferguson would be a great pickup and he'd be relatively cheap low risk for the Packers. Uh, If he doesn't work out, they cut him and move on. You can say the same thing about uh, Christian Michael. He has a lot of athletic upside, probably the most athletic back the Packers have had in close to a decade. I don't know. It's been a while since they've had somebody along the profile of Christian Michael. And still, if he doesn't work out, the Packers will only be out a $25,000 signing bonus if they decide to move on. This one is very similar to that. A guy still on his rookie contract. Not a lot of financial obligation for the Packers, so it makes a lot of sense to see them do this. Headline number two, a little bit more risky, depending on what the Packers ultimately decide to do here, if they decide to do anything at all. And that would be uh, bringing running back Joe Mixon in for a visit. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean anything, but just the fact that it's Joe Mixon uh, raises uh, some eyebrows around the league and around uh, the, the Packers fans worldwide, perhaps. Uh, the, the details on Joe Mixon, he is very talented, but also very controversial. He may be off some draft boards entirely due to an incident in 2014 when he punched a woman. The video is out there. We've posted it at thepowersweep.com. It is fairly shocking. Uh, he's considered a top five running back talent and in you know, a loaded running back class. That's saying quite a bit. Some consider him a possible first-round pick, although I don't put a whole lot of stock into that. I don't know how you feel about it, Gary. We'll get to that in just a second. But, Gary, my question for you is any fire to this potential smoke? I do think there's a possibility the Packers end up with Mixon. Like you said, John, I, I disagree with the mock drafts and the analysts who think Mixon will be Green Bay or any team's first-round pick. He would be, in my opinion, in the mix for, pardon the pun there, on the mix, but in the second or third round, I think he could be the guy. Uh, But 
I, I do think there could be some smoke to this or some fire to the smoke. The Packers do have a pretty long history of bringing in guys who they ultimately end up drafting. It's happened pretty regularly. Not a lot. Not like they're drafting three or four of the guys that they, they bring in for a visit, but it seems like a couple guys from the list of guys that they talk about or talk to every year do ultimately wind their way to Green Bay. Whether Mixon is that sort of guy obviously remains to be seen, but like you, I wouldn't be surprised to see him be that day two or day three pick. I don't think he gets to be an undrafted free agent. Personally, I wouldn't want to see him in Green Bay, but I do think he's going to end up on an NFL roster. Finally, as we work through our headlines, we need to talk a little bit of baseball. This week, this past Monday, was opening day for most of the league. I know they kind of stagger it a little bit now. We looked through the archives and found six Packers players who also played pro baseball, either at the the minor league or professional or the big league level. Uh, My favorite from this list is Red Smith. You can read the full list at thepowersweep.com right now. I'm just going to read part of this piece. So Smith's baseball career ended up being pretty short, very short, about as short as it could possibly be. He played exactly one big league game. He caught a game for the 1927 New York Giants. He also played for the Packers on two different occasions, played five games in 1927, but didn't record a meaningful stat, left for the 1928 season and played with the New York football Giants and the New York football Yankees. He came back to the Packers in 1929 and wouldn't you know it, ended up being a part of the first ever Packers championship team. Gary, which current Packers player would you like to see try another sport? It'd be really fun to see just how good Aaron Rodgers could be if he put down pro football and picked up pro golf. He's a 4.0 handicap, according to the Wisconsin State Golf Association, and that's pretty good. Uh, A couple of players who are a little bit better than Rodgers on the golf course. You've got Matt Ryan, a 1.2 handicap, and the lower number, the better here. Michael Jordan, a 1.9, but... Wouldn't you know it if Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady got out in the course? Rodgers would give Brady five strokes. Brady's a 9.2 handicap. I would like to see Rodgers and and Brady go at it, uh, if only to see Brady lose at something for once. Uh, But I would also like to see Randall Cobb try baseball. Uh, He seems like he has this sort of build of a middle infielder, like try him at second base or shortstop just to see how it works out. And one of these guys played baseball in the past, and that's why... They ended up being drafted and playing a little minor league ball, if you look at a lot of the guys around around the NFL. But I think Randall Cobb would make a, a pretty good pretty good baseball player. That'd be, that'd be pretty fun to see. Gary, we're going to talk a little bit of NFL draft here, taking a trip back in the time machine to 2005. But first, I want to ask something of listeners of Blue 58 and readers of thepowersweep.com. Uh, real talk for a second. This site and podcast isn't free for us to produce. Gary and I both put a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of our own money into uh, into this project to make it as good as we can possibly be. Uh, so if you like the Power Sweep, here are a couple ways that I think that you can help us keep this project going. First of all, if you look up uh, on our site, you can see that Gary and I have put together an ebook. It's called The Following Favre. It's on four quarterbacks who the Packers tried to use to replace Brett Favre even before he was out the door. Uh, for his first quasi-retirement. But some other things that you can do to help us out is uh, just give us a little bit of feedback. Tell us something. Answer one very specific question. What sort of Packers content would you be willing to pay for? I know 
the world of sports doesn't ask you to pay for a lot. But if there is something, anything out there that you would be willing to pay for, uh, tell Gary and I about it. Let us know what we can do and we'll see if we could put something like that together that would be of a level of quality that you'd be interesting and uh, interested in sending a little bit of money our way for. We don't want to be producing things that you don't want, even if it is something like an ebook that we kind of put together on a whim. Let us know. Reach us at thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com or reach out to us via Twitter or Facebook. We are very active on both of those sites and you should be able to get a hold of us pretty easily. Again, thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com if you'd like to get in touch via email or check us out on Facebook or Twitter, both sites. Just search The Power Sweep. That is probably the easiest way to do it. All right, let's talk some draft history. Blue 58 Gary, this year marks a significant milestone in that it's well over a decade since Aaron Rodgers became the first first-round pick of the Ted Thompson era. That was all the way back in 2005. In 2005, let's see, I would have been a sophomore in high school and still playing basketball at Sheboygan County Christian High School. Where were you in 2005? I would have been 14 years old, so whatever grade that is. I think it's probably like 7th grade, 8th grade. Something like that. I guess depending on uh, how well you take to the educational system. (laughs) <laughs> right. Uh, no no skipping or failing grades for me. Me, I me neither, fortunately. most average student. Point is, 2005 now, a while ago, and I think we've begun to have our memory be a little bit clouded on exactly what the circumstances were surrounding the Packers' selection of Aaron Rodgers in, their, in the first round. The, again, this was uh, Ted Thompson's very first first-round pick as general manager of the Green Bay Packers. And it was a very, very interesting one. So why take a look at this? It's, it's pretty fun to look back and think about what we were, were thinking at that particular time. And I think we've forgotten a little bit about exactly how tough of a call this may have been for Ted Thompson and the Packers. So here is a story in four chapters about how Aaron Rodgers became the first first-round pick for Ted Thompson and the new regime in Green Bay. Gary, the first place we should start is try to understand the Packers' problems in 2005, and that really starts on defense. It does, John. The Packers' defense, much like 2017, needed a lot of help in 2005. The Packers were on their third defensive coordinator in three years. In 2003, they had fired Ed Donatel after the first home loss at Lambeau Field in the postseason to the Atlanta Falcons. Then a following year, after the 4th and 26 playoff loss to Philadelphia, Mike Sherman fired defensive coordinator Bob Slowick. In 2005, Jim Bates had been named the new defensive coordinator. He had coached the Miami defense for the past four years, where he had had some success. Second, the Packers defense needed to replace a playmaker. Thompson had released safety Darren Sharper in the offseason despite really having no backup plan at the safety position. The Packers wanted Sharper to take about a $4 million pay cut, but he preferred to test the free agent market and come back to the Packers uh, if the market didn't pan out. So at the time, the Packers' other starting safety was a man by the name of Mark Roman, who was a major free agent bust that was signed the previous season. And Bao Zhu, the third safety, was also a free agent and left Green Bay for San Diego the same offseason. Above all, thank goodness Sharper was gone given the legal history 
that we now know now. Yeah, Sharper now doing 18 years for a variety of charges, to say the least. Yes, Google that if you don't know. I don't want to talk about no, it. No, let's but, move on. Uh, finally, uh, so we're talking about the Packers defense, and it was really overflowing with young players that hadn't yet realized their potential in turning the ball back over to the Packers offense. You had linebacker Nick Barnett is really the the cornerstone of the offense. You had defensive end Aaron Campman ascending. You had Kabir Baja Biamilla in the middle of his career. But top picks in the secondary like Ahmad Carroll and Joey Thomas weren't quite panning out as expected. And finally, the turnovers. Green Bay had only managed eight interceptions and recovered seven fumbles in 2004. To put that in perspective, last season the Packers had 17 interceptions and recovered 11 fumbles. And I don't think anybody would say last year's defense was especially adept in any particular area, but those numbers are pretty shocking. Things were not uh, expected to play out in the Packers' favor in terms of the draft either. The defensive players expected to be available at number 24 were not the sort that the Packers really needed. Bob McGinn of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel writing in the lead-up to the draft that it was looking to be slim pickings for the Packers. Top talent was going to elude them. Obviously, you always love outside linebackers and big playmakers as the Packers were beginning that switch to the 3-4, or at least preparing for it. So what do you need for outside linebacker, or for, for a 3-4 defense? Well, you need outside linebackers to rush the passer. And you need top-flight defensive linemen to soak up those blocks. Well, the best outside linebackers in the 2005 draft were Sean Merriman and DeMarcus Ware. Merriman went on to be the Defensive Rookie of the Year for the San Diego Chargers, and DeMarcus Ware was uh, just wrapped up what's probably going to be a Hall of Fame caliber career with the, uh, with the Cowboys and Denver Broncos. So the Packers obviously would have really liked either one of those and they obviously or and they reportedly really coveted DeMarcus Ware but they were going to have to trade up probably to get either one of them and early on in his tenure Thompson was all about hoarding those draft picks so you also need defensive linemen to run a 3-4 uh, the best couple defensive linemen especially defensive ends in the draft were Erasmus James of Wisconsin and Marcus Spears of Louisiana State both of them were expected to be long off the board before the Packers got up, and that turned out to be the case. So finally, with those big defensive playmakers off the board, who could the Packers realistically pick? Well, the top defensive candidates seemed to be Brodney Poole, a safety from Oklahoma, Luis Castillo, a defensive tackle from Northwestern, defensive end Marcus Spears of Louisiana State, though he was probably going a little bit earlier, and cornerback Fabian Washington of Nebraska. The Packers, though, apparently were thinking quarterback, although maybe not in the way that people were thinking. That's right, John. At the time, it had been a a handful of years since Brett Favre had signed a 10-year, $100 million contract. At the time, it was the last significant move before general manager Ron Wolf retired. It was considered to be a lifetime contract. At the time, Favre told the media he doesn't see himself playing beyond 2006. That quote really holds up. So we're heading into the 2005 draft. We we know from what Favre has said, 2006, probably going to be the end of the road. Where does it go from here? Well, where it goes from here is apparently some flirty eyes from the Packers towards some of the top quarterbacks in the draft, and not just in 2005. 
for some time now. In 2003, it was thought that the Packers had really loved Kyle Bowler of Cal, which ends up being a little bit significant down the road here in a second. In the 2004 draft, the Packers had also loved J.P. Losman of Tulane. He ended up uh, playing for the Buffalo Bills. The Packers were at 25 in that particular draft. The Bills traded up to number 22 and uh, and snagged Mr. Losman. In the 2005 draft, it was pretty well known that the Packers were a big fan of Charlie Fry of Akron and Jason Campbell of Auburn. Now, Fry is especially interesting because he had been the MVP at the Senior Bowl, and it has become since conventional wisdom that the Packers really love those Senior Bowl performers. Packers put a lot of weight into that when evaluating talent. Fry also had a pretty solid combine workout. Uh, Jason Campbell, also a very athletic, very good quarterback. And as an aside, it would have been really interesting to see how his career had played out had he not started in that dumpster fire that is Washington. But as we head into the actual draft, Aaron Rodgers begins to fall. It was thought that he could be the first overall pick, but a bunch of teams begin to overthink things just a little bit. The 49ers had the top pick in the draft, and offensive coordinator Mike McCarthy, as well as the rest of the 49ers brass, were thought to have things narrowed down to about four players. Aaron Rodgers, Utah quarterback Alex Smith, Michigan wide receiver Braylon Edwards, and Miami cornerback Antrell Roll. Gary, we know what happened there. Well, all four players visited San Francisco that week, and ultimately... The 49ers went with Alex Smith. At the time, this was before the NFL instituted a bit of a de facto contract structure for their rookies. So choosing a wide receiver or cornerback was most likely considered to be a salary cap saving maneuver on San Francisco's part. After that, three running backs go in the first five picks. Ronnie Brown to the Dolphins at two, Cedric Benson to the Bears at four, and Cadillac Williams to the Buccaneers at number five, despite, in a very interesting note, John Gruden telling Aaron Rodgers on the phone that he was going to be the pick about a week before the draft. Funny how you never hear John Gruden bring up that particular part of his relationships with quarterbacks as he he talks about his his long history of evaluating passers. Uh, From there, Gary, things get a little bit weird. And one thing I want to avoid is really kind of dumping on these teams. Because it's easy to say, oh, the the Tennessee Titans passed on Aaron Rodgers and took Adam Jones or Pac-Man Jones at number six. Or, you know, you go on down the list. But just a couple things to look at here. A lot of these teams had either invested in um, corner or quarterbacks very recently or they already had ones that they considered to be very good. Consider the cases of picks number seven and picks number, or six and seven, Tennessee and Minnesota. So Tennessee picks Adam Jones, the defensive back out of West Virginia. It might seem like a strange pick now, but at the time they had Steve McNair and he was only 32 years old. Very, very good quarterback. At number seven, Minnesota has Troy Williamson, or takes Troy Williamson. They're putting him with Dante Culpepper, who in the 2004 season just passed for 4,700 yards and 39 touchdowns, one of the best seasons still to this day by a quarterback and even higher on that list in 2004. I I have some sympathy for these teams looking back, Gary. Do you? I do. Minnesota is the one that that really hits me because they had two picks before Green Bay got up to select Rodgers and and Troy Williamson, the wide receiver at seven, 
That was the pick Minnesota received for trading Randy Moss to the Oakland Raiders. And then they selected Wisconsin's Erasmus James, who uh, I remember when that pick happened, I coveted James for the Packers as a youngster because who doesn't want to see a really solid player from their favorite college team go to their favorite pro team? And Well, right, that... that... I mean, you would love to see something like that. It would have been cool to see a guy like Erasmus James, who I liked a whole lot, come to the Green Bay Packers too. And it seemed like a, a guy they they really could have used. And didn't he end up playing pretty well against the Packers? He did. He he had some injury histories that is he had some injuries rather that limited his uh, his his career with Minnesota. But ultimately, um, you know, hey, I'll take Rogers over him, but. Now, here's where things get a little bit less defensible, although you can look at the reasoning here. Picks number 21, 22, and 23 before you get to the fateful number 24 for the Green Bay Packers. At this point in the draft, Ted Thompson really has to be chomping on his fingernails because by this point, you're like, huh, if Rodgers gets to us, we're going to have to take him. He has to know by this point. But picks number 21, 22, and 23 are the Jacksonville Jaguars, the Baltimore Ravens, and the Oakland Raiders. Now, those teams always seem to be in need of a quarterback. Two of the three seem to have one today, but I bet they would all trade for Aaron Rodgers if they could. The picks in the 2005 draft, Matt Jones goes to the Jacksonville Jaguars, Mark Clayton a wide receiver goes to the Baltimore Ravens. Jones also a receiver. And then the speed demon Fabian Washington, a cornerback, goes to the Oakland Raiders. I want to defend these teams because at the time they had Byron Leftwich for the Jaguars, Kyle Baller, Bowler for the Ravens, and Kerry Collins for the Raiders. Technically, yes, they all did have quarterbacks, but none of those quarterbacks are any good. They really weren't, and thankfully, Aaron Rodgers ends up in Green Bay. It really was a rare move for the Packers. The This was the 70th NFL draft, and in all of the previous drafts, the Packers had only made a quarterback their first-round selection six times. The list, uh, not very compelling. Uh, the, the standout name here, Rich Campbell in 1981, the last time Green Bay had selected a quarterback that high. Uh, Brett Favre, while a second-round pick, was traded to Green Bay for for a first-rounder. And a lot of people had to backtrack in Wisconsin media, too. Two that stick out to me right away are the Capital Times' Mike Lucas saying there was no need to reach for a first-round quarterback two days before the draft. Quoting from that piece, here's the dilemma. If quarterbacks Jason Campbell and Charlie Fry are both still available when the Packers go on the clock in the first round, how tough will it be for Thompson to skip over them? Now, I will give Lucas the benefit of the doubt there. He didn't seem to think that Aaron Rodgers would be available at number 24, but uh, he predicted the Packers would stay away from quarterbacks. Bob McGinn also pointed out a week before the draft that quarterbacks coached by Cal coach Jeff Tedford tend to be busts, and it's easy to see why people think so. Uh, the previous three first-round quarterbacks uh, that were coached by uh, Mr. Tedford ended up being Akili Smith, Joey Harrington, and the aforementioned Kyle Bowler. He produces good college quarterbacks, but Jeff Tedford's guys seem to have a lot of trouble producing at the next level, and it was reasonable, I guess, in some ways to think that maybe Aaron Rodgers would have some similar difficulties. 
And that's true, John. It, it didn't work out right away. And that's what a lot of people forget when we examine the Aaron Rodgers situation in Green Bay. No matter how accurate Gunslinger may or may not have been, the book by Jeff Perlman discussing Brett Favre's career, it's a fair conclusion that Rodgers and Brett Favre did not have the best of relationships upon Rodgers' arrival in spring 2005. Rodgers certainly took some time to develop. Some people thought the Packers would even take a quarterback the following year when Green Bay held the fifth overall pick. If we take a a brief step back before the draft, Bob McGinn puts together a wonderful preview on some of the top names in the draft and gets some scout and personnel directors' opinions. And here were just some of the thoughts on Rodgers before the draft. Quote, he's a heady guy, one scout said. They do a marvelous job of coaching quarterbacks there. I don't think he's as good as any of the top quarterbacks coming out last year and last year being Philip Rivers, Eli Manning, and Ben Roethlisberger. Another NFC personnel director said, quote, I think he has a good chance of being a bust, just like every other Jeff Tedford coached quarterback. Thing I struggle with is he gets sacked a lot. Brett Favre can change his release point and find different windows. This guy is very rigid mechanically, end quote. And things got a little bit more interesting when Rodgers met with the local media on Sunday. He revealed that he had played the entire 2003 season at Cal with a torn ACL and had reconstructive surgery in January 2004, just about a year prior. Well, he appeared to have recovered pretty well. Isn't that right, John? Yeah, he reportedly, I guess this is something that the Packers used to do a lot more, have guys run 40-yard dashes in training camp or off-season stuff. The Packers apparently timed one of his 40-yard dashes in that particular off-season at 4.66 seconds. Now, that sticks out to me because earlier this off-season, in 2017, Rodgers called it fake news when someone talked about the 4.7240 that he ran at the 2005 scouting combine, saying he remembered running 4.66. Well, is it possible that this could have been the 46640 that Rodgers was talking about? I think so. How this all applies to 2017? Well, three things I want people to take away from this. First, don't expect Thompson, Ted Thompson, to draft a defensive player just because that's what mock drafts have been saying. A lot of them have been saying that the Packers are going defense, defense, defense in the first round, and that's that's fine. But don't expect him to follow those just because that's the the prevailing opinion. It didn't happen in 2005 when the Packers had a lot of needs on defense. Also, don't expect him to take a quarterback. I don't think that he's going to surprise people quite that way. Second thing, don't let Aaron Rodgers' performance now distract you from how tough a call it was for the Packers to make at the time. People rag on Ted Thompson. I see this all the time online about how he's coasting on that Rodgers pick. Come on. It was 2005. He thought he had maybe two seasons of Brett Favre left. This was a tough call for him to make. He didn't know that Rodgers was going to be an all-pro. That's the final thing, too. Don't assume that Rodgers was considered to be a sure thing before the draft or even for a long time after the draft. It's important to remember there were a lot of question marks before the draft, and there was a lot of people who thought he wasn't the answer even after a season, even two or three seasons in Green Bay. It was not a done deal at the time. Gary, what are your takeaways as we look away, look at back at this? My favorite instance about this whole conversation about Rodgers is just how much the quarterback has developed in his time since since his college days at Cal. 
if you go onto YouTube and you take a look at his reel of uh, just just his highlights from Cal, he looks like a completely different quarterback. His throwing motion is, as the personnel director said earlier, very rigid. And that's a big credit to the work of Mike Sherman, Daryl Bevel, Mike McCarthy, uh, the the whole staff, Tom Clements, that worked with Rodgers in his formative years backing up Brett Favre. I am really excited about the the future of Aaron Rodgers in the, in this next kind of segment of, of years. And it's fun to look back at this to remind yourself just how tough of a call this was and how richly the Packers were rewarded for a really hard decision. Well, it's funny is 12 or 13 years ago, if you'd have had a 33-year-old quarterback, soon to be 34, you'd have been thinking about maybe drafting his replacement as the Packers did in 2005. But now Rodgers thinks he could maybe play another seven, eight, maybe even nine or 10 years. Certainly a different game now than it was even just a little bit more than a decade ago. Hey, Gary, while I've got you here, I know you read very closely the piece that we mentioned earlier about the Packers players who also played pro baseball. In that piece, I mentioned that Pid Purdy, a real person who played for the Packers, is the lightest player in Packers and NFL history to have thrown a touchdown pass. He was just 145 pounds. But do you know who the shortest player to ever line up for the Packers was? I'll tell you. His name was Nate Abrams. He was 5 feet 4 inches tall, played one game for the 1921 Green Bay Packers, and he made the most of it too, scoring a touchdown on an interception return. Bonus fact, Nate Abrams was born on Christmas Day all the way back in 1898. That would make him a 19th century Packers player. Gary, I think that's about the show for this week. It sure is, John. Let me tell the good people where to find us. You can find us at www.thepowersweep.com. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Searching The Power Sweep or typing at The Power Sweep, probably the best way to get us. If you'd like to send us a good old-fashioned electronic email, feel free, thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Any feedback helps John and I make Blue 58 and the Power Sweep better and helps make all of us smarter Packer fans. And smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. For Gary Zillaby, I'm John Meerdink. We will see you next week on Blue 58.